Good morning for our scripture reading this morning. Turn to Philippians 1. Philippians 1, chapter 1, page 1161 in the Pew Bible. 1161 in the Pew Bible. That's Philippians 1, and we'll be reading from verse 1 through 11. Philippians 1, verses 1 through 11. Follow along with me, if you will. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus at Philippi, together with the overseers and deacons, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. It is right for me to feel this way about all of you, since I have you in my heart, for whether I am in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, All of you share in God's grace with me. God can testify how long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. And this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight, so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless until the day of Christ filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Amen. God bless the reading of his holy word. What is the essential quality of happy people? What what is the most salient Uh, characteristic of people who experience happiness at a higher level than than the rest of the people. This is a a question which researchers at the University of Illinois uh, set out to to discover. And they did their research, and and what they discovered is that a lot of the things that we, I think we all know they don't really lead to happiness, but we still somehow convince ourselves that they do. That that The things that we often pursue that we think are going to make us happy, they don't, like money, Right? We, 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 we think, at least subconsciously, that money is going to make us happier the more that we have. And, of course, there's all kinds of research that shows that, that once your basic needs are met, uh, that there's basically no correlation between increase in uh, a lifestyle, increase in money, and increase in happiness. Um, education, uh, no. Uh, sometimes we think, well, it's education, right? If you're educated, then that'll open up the doors, and then... For, for the right kind of life, and then that'll bring happiness. But, but again, apparently there's, there's very little correlation uh, between, between people who are educated and, and their happiness. I think we all know really educated people who are miserable, and I think we all know people who are not very educated who are very happy. So uh, it's not education. Uh, what about youth? What about being young? Right? We live in a a youth-saturated culture, it's just, you know, it's better to be young. That's, that's uh, I mean, I just heard about, I just heard about a church, uh, I, I won't name the church, 
I, I wonder about this methodology, but, but apparently they've, they've decided that other than the senior pastor, uh, nobody under the age of 40 is allowed on the stage. I've got one year left. I better go apply. I better go, I better go work there now, right? Like we're, we're obsessed with, with youth. And, and somehow we think that if you're younger, right, then you're, you're going to be happier. But actually studies show that actually older people uh, generally have less mood swings and whatnot. So, so what is it? What is it? Today we're continuing in our series called Bleed. And it's a, a series in which we're looking at the core values of the church Core values, which I've sought to instill in this church from the first day that I came here. And it's, it's values that I believe just come from the pages of Scripture and are absolutely essential to a, a thriving and vibrant biblical church. And these core values are being gospel-centered, community-oriented, and outwardly-faced. And my prayer is that we as a church would, would bleed these core values, that we would, we would bleed them like the Manning family bleeds football. I've used Tom Brady before. I think I need to realize my audience. <laughs> right? The Manning family bleeds football. Archie Manning, Peyton Manning. What's the other guy? Uh, I can't even remember, you know. <clears throat> right? The Mannings, they, they, they bleed football, right? It's, it's in their blood. If you were to cut them open, it's like you would see, you'd see plays. You'd see you know, the playbook in their blood. They, they just bleed it. And so the question for us is, are we a church that bleeds, not just believes, not just says, yeah, those are good. I affirm those. Sound good to me. But do we, do we bleed those? Is that part of, of who we are? We bleed the gospel. We bleed community, and we bleed, we bleed being outwardly faced. And that's my prayer, is that we would increasingly be a church that bleeds these Values today we're we're looking at community oriented, being community oriented, and what we find in this passage in Philippians is that Paul absolutely bleeds community. Right, the he's writing to the church in Philippi. It's a church that he planted years before he writes this. He's not there anymore, but you can see in his language how he longs for them. That there is this connection with them that he has that is very deep. I thank God every time I remember you in all my prayers for all of you. I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel. In verse 7, it is right for me to feel this way about all of you since I have you in my heart. For whether I am in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. Throughout the letter, he refers to them as his crown and his joy, as his dear friends and his brothers. He, he bleeds community. So that's the question, do we, do we bleed this core value? Before we can bleed it, before we can bleed it, we need to understand two things. First, we need to recognize that we need it. Before we can bleed it, we need to recognize that we need it. We need to recognize that we need it, and then we need to know how do we get it. First, we need it, and then how do we get it? First of all, we need to recognize that we need it. Turn with me to John chapter 17. John chapter 17 on page 1070 of your pew Bibles. You don't have to turn there. if You, you can also just listen, right? 
much of the Christian world uh, for centuries, they just listened to it. So it's okay. You don't have to read it. You can listen to it. But if you want to follow along, there it is. And in this passage, we get a glimpse of who God is. We get a glimpse of who God is, and, and that's really important, you see, because if you want to know who you are, you've got to start by knowing who God is. This is an important uh, principle about Christian anthropology, the study of who you are, that, that if you want to know who you are, you've got to first know who God is, because what the Bible says is that we're created in the image of God. We're created to reflect who God is, so... By looking at who God is, then we get a glimpse of, of how he created us to be and who we're intended to be, what intended to be like. And here we get a glimpse of who God is, chapter 17, beginning in verse 1. After Jesus said this, he looked toward heaven and prayed, Father, the time has come. Glorify your Son that your Son may glorify you. For you granted him authority over all people that he might give eternal life to all those you have given him. Now this is eternal life, that, you, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. I have brought you glory on earth by completing the work you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world began. Here we get just one picture. Of, well, we get a glimpse of a picture that emerges throughout the scriptures of a God who is a community of love. That God, in his very essence, is a community of love. The the, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in eternal community, always having always been in community together. Not, Not three gods, not three gods doing kind of their own thing and kind of getting along sometimes and sometimes not getting along and sometimes fighting, but... But no, no, three pers- one God, this is how the, er- the, the early church later came to formulate it in terms of the Trinity trying to p- put some sort of language around this mystery that emerges in the Scripture. They refer to it as the Trinity. And God is, is in essence, in nature, one God, but three persons. And these three persons are this, e- this eternal community of love. God in his very essence is community. And, and that tells us something about ourselves that being made in the image of God, we, we have this need for community. Genesis chapter 1, God places Adam in the garden, and it says, what's the very next thing he does after he puts him in the garden? Well, he says it's not good for him to be alone. It's not good for him to be alone. And, of course, that, that's a passage which is used to talk about the importance of marriage. But I think we can take it even deeper than that. It's, it's deeper than just marriage. It's, it's, it's coming out of this basic need for community. In fact, in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, Paul, for reasons I won't go into now, actually encourages people in the church who are single to remain single. I won't go into that now, but, but the reason why he does that, it's not like he's encouraging them to live an isolated life, but, but what, he's, what he's saying is that, that if you're part of Christian community then even if you're single, you can have family. So the very heart of who we are are people who need community. So that's the theological rationale for it. But now let's just get practical about this. Practically, why do we need community? And I'll give three reasons. We need community for belonging. 
We need community for transformation, and we need community for mission. We need community for belonging, we need community for transformation, and we need community for mission. First of all, we need community for belonging. I, I raised uh, or mentioned that, that, uh, that study that was done a number of years ago about the key to happiness and how <clears throat> what they determined is that it isn't how much money you have or how much education you have or, or how young you have. The, the salient feature of happy people that they found are people who have great friendships. Came down to, came down to friendship. That, that, that seemed to be the number one characteristic of, of happy people. And, of course, if you think about it, uh, where, do, where are friendships formed? They're formed in the context of community. Community is the context in which friendships are, are formed. I'll give you an example. Uh, my brother, uh, other than my wife, uh, my brother is my best friend. Uh, we can talk about anything. Uh, we can call each other out. Uh, we can encourage each other. We can laugh at the same stupid jokes, which nobody else laughs at. Right? We, we, have a, we have a deep, close friendship. And, of course, well, well, why is that? Well, there are a number of reasons, but one of the reasons is that we lived in community together for 20 years. We lived in tight community for, for 20 years. Now, you know, just living in community, there's, there's more to it. We'll see than that. There are certainly people, uh, brothers, sisters, family members who aren't close that were in a community. So it's more than that. It's, it's not a sufficient condition, but it is a necessary condition. It's a necessary condition, community is. I mean, if, if I had never met my brother and I just ran into him on the subway, uh, hi, I'm Kevin, hi, I'm Eric. Hey, how's your marriage going? You know, how, how's that sin that you were struggling with? You know, that, that's probably not going to happen. It was the same person, right? You, know, you see, friendships, they're, they're forged in the context of community, and that's, that's why uh, this study that was done, the conclusion just says, hey, people... Uh, they need to learn to be good with other people, work on their social skills, work on, on, on being able to relate to others, because happiness is, is tied to this. You need community in order to have, have belonging. Why do we need community, first of all, for belonging? Sorry, excuse me. Anybody else sick today? Oh, good, then you can all just pray for me. I'm the only one that needs it. Secondly, community is necessary for transformation. Last week, we looked at the value of being gospel-centered. And what we saw that emerges from a church that is gospel-centered is you have people who long to be changed, long for transformation. I, I, I saw this, uh, this cartoon. If I would had time, I would have put it up. But I just saw it recently, and it's, it's this cartoon. The first picture, uh, the pastor says to the church, uh, who wants change? Everybody's got their hands up. And then the next one, who wants to change? No hands up. Right? But, but a gospel-centered church, you see, a gospel-centered church is filled with people who really want to change. They want transformation. Right? They... They, they, and because of the gospel, the context is set there. You have a context where people can, in humility, admit their faults, admit their, their need for change. That we can come along uh, one another, and as, as some have said, that the Christian life is just one beggar telling another beggar where to find food. 
That we come in this, this humility. I'm not any better than you. You're not any better than me. You have your sin. I have my sin. But we want to change. We don't want to live in it. We don't want to stay impoverished. But it creates this entire atmosphere where you can be honest with one another about who you are, where you are, and you're not going to be judged. You're not going to be looked down upon. There's no sense of superiority. It's just a bunch of people who are desperately in need of change, desperately in need of God's grace to work in them. And and that lays the context, right? The, The cross makes that possible, that our worth and our value isn't in what we do, even our religious deeds or anything like that. It's not in any of that. It's simply in the fact that God loves us. And he forgives us of our sin, and and that allows for this authenticity. And then the resurrection, the very spirit that raised Jesus from the dead, is available to work in us and to bring change. So it's, It's not me trying to make myself change. It's not me just trying, trying really hard to be more obedient. It's me tapping into the spirit that raised Jesus from the dead, working in me, to bring change, and that's what a gospel-centered church is after, transformation. Right? We, we don't want to just know the Bible. We don't just want information. We're not trying to create a community of people who would do really well you know, on Jeopardy when the Bible, uh, Bible category comes up. Right? We're after people who are longing to, for transformation. And community is necessary for transformation. Transformation requires community. Here's why. Because transformation involves three things. You guys are going to like this. I'm all like three points in a poem. You're going to love this. Transformation, biblical transformation requires three things. The Spirit brings transformation, but how does the Spirit generally do this? And I'm going to say through, through three, three ways. Through information, through interaction, and through imitation. Through information, through interaction, and through imitation. First of all, through information. Right, here's where I said we're not after just knowing the Bible, um, but we need to know the Bible. The Bible helps to bring transformation. In other words, studying the Bible is a horrible end, but a wonderful means. It's a horrible end. If you're just studying the Bible to know the Bible, that's horrible and wasteless and useless. Paul says knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. If you're just studying it just because you're interested in it, you just kind of like it, kind of want to know what, what it says, that, that can actually be very dangerous. But, but you see, if, if, you're, if you're studying the Bible because you want transformation, then it's absolutely necessary. 2 Timothy 3.16 says, All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. We need to study the Bible and, and again, to understand it within a gospel-centered framework in which we're seeking to be changed. When we get together for for Bible studies or or come to church, we're longing to change. And so information is a a crucial part of that. And, and, you know, that's why Sundays, what I love to do is just preach through the Bible. To be honest with you, even doing a series like this, I don't really like doing these series. (laughs) I think they're necessary sometimes. um, But really, I, I would rather just preach through the Bible. And so we're going to do that again. I'm going to start preaching through Acts pretty soon. Let's just, let's just study the Bible and, 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 and see how that can help to bring transformation because information is necessary for transformation. So first of all, it's information. But that's not it. That's not all that is necessary to bring transformation in somebody's life. We also need interaction. Interaction with, with one another. James 5.16 says, Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. 
Hebrews chapter 4 says, let us consider then how we can spur one another on to love and good deeds. Hebrews 3.13 says, encourage one another daily as long as it is called today so that you may not be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. You see, we, we, we need interaction. We need, we need dialogue. We, we, we need to be accountability, holding one another accountable to, to what's going on in our lives. And, you know, one of, the, one of the best ways actually to have accountability, this is kind of interesting, is just to be with people. I mean, just to be with people. Let, let me give you an example. It's just, you know, confession time here. So when I'm home with my family, there are times when I will say things to my wife or to my kids that are not very loving. There are times uh, when you might say, and I'll, I'll, I'll be politically correct, times when I raise my voice. I raise my voice and say things that, that aren't very loving and very kind. But you know one of the things I've noticed is that if there are people at my house, I don't usually do that. Right? What about you? I mean, maybe you struggle with pornography. And so you're alone in the living room with your computer and, and you know, <laughs> but what if there are people over at your house? Right? You know, it's, you're, you're held accountable. Right? What, what if you struggle with drinking? Right? And then you have your Christian friends over. Well, you're, you're likely to tone it down a little bit there, right? And you got your Christian friends there. You see, just, just their presence establishes a level of accountability, which is important for transformation. Right? So information interaction, and imitation. Imitation, Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, he says, follow me as I follow Christ. Follow me as I follow Christ. You know, Jesus, when he, when he got his disciples together, he, <clears throat> he didn't say, go, and I will tell you how to be fishers of men. He said, come, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. You see, just just being around somebody and seeing how they live their life, that has a transformative impact. Imitation. I have been impacted greatly by observing many of you in our church. That many of you, in the way in which you live your lives, has, has preached to me just by observing you. I think of Lenny, Lenny Pikett. Lenny, you, in the way you live your life, has impacted me. Lenny is a man who is faithfully committed to prayer. And I've seen that for five years, and he's always wanting to bring things before the Lord, always wanting to ask for God to come and be a part of whatever it is that we're doing. And that's challenged me. It's challenged me in my own prayer life. Right, Lenny has impacted me just by, by being around him. Bruce Thames. Bruce, you have impacted me by seeing how you live your life. Bruce is a man who he serves, many of you don't even know, he'll, he'll serve in a number of different ways. Serving in the nursery, uh, just watching after kids, babysitting. Bruce, will, we'll call him up and send him up to Nyack to pick up kids, even if there aren't any kids there, and he goes. And, and Bruce, that has challenged me when I have seen how you selflessly, you selflessly serve. 
JD. JD Dunn, he and I are in a, a community group together, and we have been for about a year and a half now. And so I've, been, I've had the opportunity to see him with his family and how he lives his life. I've seen how he treats his wife and how he treats his children, and it's challenged me and encouraged me. It's preached to me. You see, I think many of you have preached to me through your lives much more than anything I could ever say because transformation doesn't just come through information. It comes through interaction, and it comes through imitation. And this requires community. Interaction and imitation especially require community. So community is necessary. Community is necessary for belonging, for friendship. Community is necessary uh, for transformation. Thirdly, community, excuse me. Community might be necessary for somebody to get me water if I run out. Community is necessary for mission. We're going to talk about this more next week when we look at being outwardly faced. Uh, but community is necessary for, for mission. You know, one of the things we're going to see is that... Thanks, Dave. Community is necessary for mission. Uh, one of the things we're going to look at again next week, and I, I try to drive home every once in a while, is that what it means to be a Christian is that we're not just saved from something. We're saved for something. That we have a purpose, we have a calling to be uh, the means through which God brings renewal and restoration into this world, into every part of life. We're called to be the means through which God makes disciples and, and, and draws people to him and the means through which the gospel, the good news of Jesus, is made known and real to people, that we have a mission, we have a purpose. And what I want us to see is that, that for us to be effective in mission requires the context of community. And, and, and here's why, uh, for a number of reasons, but because... There isn't one of us who perfectly represents Christ. And I don't just mean because we're all sinners. That's true, too. Um, but, but you see, what, what Paul teaches us in 1 Corinthians, he talks about how we are gifted differently. That we're all, when you become a Christian, the very spirit that raised Jesus from the dead. Thank you, sweetheart. The very spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is, is in each and every one of us, when you put your hope and your trust in him, then the very spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is in us. But what Paul says is actually the spirit manifests itself differently in each one of us. That we don't all represent Christ in that sense, but we're all different parts of the body of Christ. And so some of us are really good at sharing our faith in a, in a sort of evangelistic sense. Others of us are really good at just caring for people and showing them hospitality. Um, you know, and, 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 and so... But not, no one of us embodies all of these. And so if you just go out by yourself, they're going to get a very narrow view of who Jesus is. But if you introduce them to a community of people, and now they start to get a glimpse, a fuller glimpse of who Jesus is, we're going to talk about this more next week. So community is necessary for belonging. Community is necessary for transformation. Community is necessary for mission. Now, <clears throat> how do we get it? How do we get community? And I, I, I want to just start by saying this. Community, a community that can foster belonging, transformation, and mission is a community that requires different levels of community, different levels. Uh, anthropologist, I think Edward Hall is his name, uh, is, is famous for his theory of, of 
social connectivity or social cohesion, something like that. And he studied people groups around the world. And what he discovered is that that people need healthy community in four different spaces. Uh, They need community, public space, public space. And that's, you know, that's like going to a football game with 70,000 people where you might not even know anybody, might not know their names or anything like that, but there's a sense of community there. You're, you're, all, you're all rooting for the same team or whatever. You're all watching the same game, and there's that, that sort of public sense of community. That's public space. Right? Then, there's, uh, then there's, oh, actually, yeah, then there's social space. Social space. This is, this is when you get to a group of about 70 to 100 people, and social space is where you can get to know, you can know their names and maybe know what they do, Right, it just and you could kind of have small talk, uh, which isn't bad actually. Some of us don't like small talk, but the, the, a lot of anthropologists say it's actually very important. Right, so don't don't be dissing on small talk. Right, it's okay. It's okay to have small talk. It's not okay if that's all you do, but small talk is okay. Right, so you have social social uh, space where you have you know seventy to hundred people and you can kind of know them a little bit. Right, but then there's personal space, and, and this is. A group of people, you know, around 12, something like that, anywhere in that range. And these are people who you really can share life with. You can do life with on a regular basis. These are people you have shared experiences with. These are people who, who really can kind of get to know you a little bit more. And you share meals with. You, you, you live life regularly with. And then there's intimate space. And that's just where you have a few people with whom you can be completely transparent. Few people that, that really know you well. And Edward Hall says that, that healthy community operates at all four levels. And I think what's interesting is that he spent you know, his whole career kind of you know, investigating and looking at different people groups. And, and actually, he really could have just opened up his Bible um, because you find Jesus interacting in all four of these spaces. You see Jesus interacting with the, the public space, feeding the 5,000. You see Jesus in the Gospel of Luke, uh, he sends out the 70 missionaries. This is social space, right? The 70, 72 missionaries, these, these are the ones that you know, are with him, have been following him, that, that he sends out, and, you know, he'd know them all by name. I mean, I guess he'd know all the 5,000 by name, but he's a little bit different. You, you get what I'm saying? These are the people that would all know each other by name, perhaps. But then Jesus also had the 12 personal space, the, the 12 disciples whom he poured his life into, and then it even seems that he had a special connection with Peter and James and John. That's, that's intimate space. And so what I want to do for our church is cast a vision in which we are able to engage in community at all of these different levels. And right at the outset, what I want to say is that Sunday morning isn't going to be enough. That Sunday morning isn't going to be enough. But first, we have public space. And you know, we can't really do a lot about that because we don't have enough people for public space. Uh, but, but it's something to keep in mind. And, and, and actually, I would say that the public space is the one that requires less intentionality. Uh, it's probably not, you don't need as much frequency in, in that. And I would say that because when you look at the people of Israel, they would have their, their big feasts where they would gather in Jerusalem. And that was really three times a year they would get together. And so you might say that, that you know, you, you, we need to have that, but it's not something you've got to regularly be seeking every week or something like that. Right? So, so maybe you go to a concert, a Christian con- uh, concert or something like that, or, or maybe you just listen to K-Love. K-Love really is a way to, 
to engage in public space that you've got, you know, you're, there's a sense of community. They don't know you, you don't know them, but that doesn't really matter because you're all kind of centered around the same thing. It reminds you that you're part of something bigger. Right, so we'll just kind of leave that there. But for our church, we need to focus on these three other areas of space. And again, Sunday morning isn't going to be enough. Sunday morning's good. Sunday morning's that social space, right? And we're, you know, about 70 to 100 people anywhere in there can sort of be in here. And, and you can get to know everybody, get to know everybody's names. And I would encourage you to do that, right? Get around and, and get to know people, get to know their names and, and engage in small talk, right? Honestly, that's all that happens around coffee hour. Am I right about this? It's just small talk. That's okay. Can we all admit that's fine? No big deal. It's small talk. That's not a bad thing. Small talk is okay. It's necessary, Right, so we, we need that, and so we want to do that. And Sunday morning is good for that. Sunday morning is good for certain things. Sunday morning is good for information, right? Going back to what brings transformation. We have information, interaction, and imitation. It's good for information, right? I mean, I, you know, I, I hope I didn't go to seminary and waste all those years. There's a reason why I've kind of put my life into understanding the Bible and being able to share it with you and teach. Like, this is a good place for, for information, right? But... I'm not so sure that outside of small talk, it's necessarily the best for interaction and imitation. I mean, we all look good on Sunday, right? You just try to imitate people on Sunday, everybody looks good. Right? So this is why we continue to push our community group ministry. Because I believe that our our community groups are the, the vehicle through which we can be intentional about creating space, these other two levels of space, of personal space and, and intimate space. And I want to just kind of, kind of pitch a, a, a vision for what a community group is. A community group is this. A community group is a group of people who are intentional about living the Christian life together. That's what a community group is. It's a group of people who are intentional about living the Christian life together. And so that will include, you know, maybe a weekly meeting. But that's not all. I mean, that's not all you're necessarily going to do. Right? Sometimes you're going to study the Bible and, and, and you're going to have a very kind of formal time when you get together. But, but there's going to be other ways in which you interact. You know, I just, just, just yesterday I went to a Halloween parade with two other couples in our community group. And we were just a part of that parade. And so we interacted and, you know, that sort of thing. And and then went, went to a soccer game of another couple in our community group. And then with another couple in the group, we had s'mores last night. You see, it's, it's doing life together. It's not, just, it's, not just, it's not just a Bible study. I could, believe me, I could talk about this for a long time. I probably will uh, as, we move, as we move forward. But we, we, we need to establish this community groups as a community of people living in, intentional about living the Christian life together. And I, I believe, and I was sharing this with our community group leaders uh, just this past week, that, that we're going to be a whole lot more effective in terms of our ministry uh, through the community groups, a whole lot more effective than myself, the elders, and the deacons could ever do by themselves. It'd be a whole lot more effective. One of the things that I've come to realize is that I can't disciple everybody in the church. I, I can't. I can't, I mean, Jesus didn't even do that. I don't think I'm, gonna, I'm not going to try to do more than Jesus did. He just picked his 12 and he focused in on the 12. He, so, so I can't disciple everybody, but with a church our size, I can be available. We're not, we're not so big that I can't be available. I want to be available in, in times of need, 
in times of crisis and you need the pastor, I hope you'll call me. We're not so big that I can't react. Hopefully I can react to needs as they emerge, but, but it's not possible for me to proactively disciple everybody in the church. And so we, 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 we need the community groups, and I've been encouraging the, the community group leaders to almost think of their little groups almost like it's their own little church, their, their, their own little flock. And as I pour into the leaders of those community groups, then they can pour in more directly into the people in their groups. And I've started using this analogy. Uh, any Republicans in the, in the house? You don't have to raise your hand. It's okay. We're not going to do that. If you're a Republican, you're going to like this, okay? So if our church, if our church was the United States, then our community groups are our states. And I want to push for states' rights. Right? I want the, the, the ministry to be decentralized. You see, we want it to take place within the, the community group. And then, because again, the, the, the little community groups, they're going to be a whole lot more effective in doing ministry than the deacons and elders back in Washington are going to be able to do. Right? So, so we allow the community, and then the deacons and, and the elders can come along and support and guide and equip these little communities. I was just sharing uh, with the community group leaders again that the, the deaconesses, I had a meeting with the deaconesses a couple weeks ago, and they've already said that since the community groups have formed, and we're still in transition, right? But even with the groups already having formed, that they've noticed that, that the burden on them is significantly less. That there are things that they... They were always trying to do that are, are, are now, sometimes not always, because not everybody's in a community group, and that's okay, right? And that's, that's what we're here for. We want, to, we want to get everybody, right? If you're not in a state, then you, you can rely on Washington. We'll, we'll be here for you, right? But, but what we found is that those who are in states, then in the community groups, that a lot of the things that the deacons and deaconesses uh, normally do are being taken care of. So if somebody uh, has a baby, uh, and, and normally the deaconesses would organize meals for that, now that's being handled by that community group. And the deaconesses are, are there to support and, and to help. You know, I, I think of the, the deaconesses, they're a little bit like FEMA. Right? They come in when the state can't handle it. When the issue is too big for them, and so... That, that's what the deaconesses are like. If there's, if there's a need that your community group has that's beyond what you can handle, then you come, you come to the deaconesses and they help, to, they help to provide. So this is how we create, uh, this is how we create community. We need to create community at, at these, these different levels. Within our community groups, uh, we can establish these two other areas of community of, of personal belonging and, and intimate belonging. Right, so we, we need levels. How, how, what do we need to get this sort of community, we need these different levels. And then I just want to say that we need to be intentional about it. The kind of community that really fosters friendship and transformation and mission, it requires intentionality, and I think especially in this day and age, because modern Western culture does not lend itself towards community. Just the way our world is set up and structured makes it a lot more difficult for community to emerge naturally. Just simple things like the fact that most homes uh, used to have front porches where people would come by and you'd meet. Now our homes, they don't have front porches. They have back porches into fenced-in backyards. 
right? Uh, uh, it used to be in, in different uh, times where people would work and live in the same area. And they would interact with the same people right there in the same area. But, but now... A lot of people commute, right? You're 30, 40 minutes, and so your lives are completely segmented. You've got two different lives. It's very hard to have community, community to naturally form in that kind of environment, right? I remember there was a, there was a time when I, when I was actually bored. I can't remember the last time I was bored. I mean, actually, the truth is I can't remember the last time I was bored, but I'm actually beginning to notice that I think I might be bored all the time. It's kind of weird what's happening, right? I mean, it used to be that there would be times when you were bored, right? So Wednesday night, you're like, what am I going to do? My TV show doesn't come on till Friday. My, I have two days until, you know, whatever, Law and Order, I don't know what your show. I have to wait two days for that TV show. I'm so bored. Oh, what am I going to do? I don't know. Maybe I'll call somebody. Maybe I'll hang out with somebody, right? But see, now you don't have to wait. Your favorite TV show, all 70 seasons are available whenever you want to watch them. And so it's like, I feel like we're a little bit like, in terms of community, we're like the kids who are just eating candy all the time, and so they're never hungry. We're never hungry. We don't realize that there's something much deeper that we need. We're so distracted by it. So we have to be intentional about it. This kind of community is not just going to happen on its own. And it requires sacrifice. Tim Keller says that we all want community until it gets in the way of our agenda. We all want community until it actually changes, you know, things in my life. But, you know, you're dealing with people. I, I, I like to think that, that being intentional about building community, it's very similar to getting married. Right? You know that, that you know, there's a give and take. There's sacrifices that are going to be involved when you get married. But you do so with the belief and the hope that, that it's going to lead to something much more beautiful. You say the same thing for community we have to be intentional about. So community requires a structure, requires different levels of community. It requires intentionality and sacrifice. And then finally, it requires grace. Requires grace. Once again, we have to get back to our core of core values, and that's being gospel-centered. That's a community that is just, again, based on the reality that God loves us simply because he loves us. That we're all free to acknowledge our faults and our sins and, 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 and to know that, that we're not going to be looked down upon or judged. We're going to be challenged and encouraged. You see, grace pr- creates the foundation upon which genuine community can exist. You, know, you can have a tight-knit, uh, loyal, faithful community um, but if you pull back the layers, it's dysfunctional. Because the, the grace isn't at the bottom of it. And so, so, so grace isn't at the bottom of it. And so humility isn't at the bottom of it. And so there's always this kind of, you know, criticism of others. And it's, it's, not, loving, it's not loving encouragement. It's, it's kind of a, you know, uh, this, you know, and, and, but grace gets rid of all of that. Grace opens up the avenues for us to have genuine community. My prayer for our church is that we would lead community. Let's pray. Dear God, we praise you that you have not left us here alone.
Lord, you have not left us here even just to try to be in relationship with you by ourselves, but you've given us others who can encourage us, challenge us, and support us. God, I pray that your grace would move powerfully through this church. God, I pray that you would humble each and every one of us, that we might come together as those, again, as as beggars, just telling other beggars where to find food. God, that in that we would find your spirit is present all around us, and the people in this church, people who are longing to know you, to pursue you, and to be changed by you, and to live that out so that others also might be drawn to you. We pray this in Jesus' name.